we're live. We're live in the chat. It looks like we're live. Okay. In the video. We are. Live. Thanks, Liam. <laughs> Thank you to Liam. Liam, aka Aid Station Fireball, who put together a bunch of great statistics for today's Bandera 100K conversation. It is already 2023, and we are back for Free Trail Friday. We haven't done one of these for a long, long time. These originated around this time last year, actually, the Black Canyon 100K where myself and Eric Sensman did a little pre-race preview for that golden ticket race. And we are back now kicking off the 2023 golden ticket races with a little pre-race banter for the Bandera 100K. Joining me as always is Corinne Malcolm. Corinne, happy Friday. Hi, I promise that I'm going to paint my office this weekend. And so it won't look like this for much longer. Yes. And I'm going to actually properly move back into a real studio here very soon myself. And then also joining us, our esteemed special guest today, all the way from Texas, Mr. Ryan Miller. Ryan, welcome to the program. Dylan, Corinne, thanks for having me on. I am so pumped to chat about Bandera. This is the highlight of Southern trail running, in my opinion, but definitely Texas. Uh, And so we got a lot to talk about. And you are a proud Texan in San Antonio, the 2021 mm-hmm. Bandera champ. Ryan Miller knows what he's talking about as we start to break down this year's race. Are you going to be at the race this weekend, tomorrow or Sunday? I, I will. I'll be out there all day tomorrow for the 100K and then all day for the 50K. And I'm running the 25K uh, after I support all my friends and athletes who are racing out there before me. So Sick. Be so is that sort of like a tune-up for Black Canyon in a few weeks? Yeah, so I I haven't officially withdrawn from Black Canyon because kind of waiting to see how the fitness evolves, but most likely aiming towards formidable 50K, actually. Ooh, a little um, Team USA action. Yeah, you know, I saw, I, I felt inspired by what the guys uh, team was able to do uh, last year. And it it's coming up so quick. I say last year, it was like two months ago. Uh, it's already coming back up on us so quick. And I'm like, man, I want to be part of a team like that. And who knows how the team will shake out in totally different location, but you know, it was something I feel inspired to do. And it happens even less often than Western States or UTMB. Right. So not very many chances to get on that start line. Heck yeah. Well, uh, yeah, good luck with that. Good luck at the 25 K this weekend and make sure you drop some photos and updates in the free trail slack. So we know what's Heck happening yeah. down there in Bandera. Although Air Viper is going to be covering the race all weekend. That is a new detail for this year's Bandera hundred K shout out to Jamil Curry Ooh. and the entire Air Viper team for putting that together. We're all going to be glued to their YouTube feed and, uh, we'll make sure to share out those links so everybody can follow along guys. Before we get to chatting about Bandera, I figure it'd be fun to maybe just do a few minutes on that sponsor shakeup that's happened in the sport over the last couple of days, really. And it seems like craft sportswear, the Swedes are coming for blood in trail and ultra running. Corinne, do you want to give us maybe a quick summary of what we've seen in the professional ranks as in terms of sponsorships? Yeah, we're still waiting, I think, for many announcements to come out in the coming weeks. Um, But right now, it looks like Kraft has been the first to make their move with their announcement, um, signing um, Mimi Kotka of um, a Swedish athlete living in uh, Central, I guess, Western Europe. And then Arlen Glick, who I think we all kind of speculated this might be happening. He mentioned he was going to test out Kraft shoes at Havelina this year. That seemed to go well. And then Tim Tolufson, who we joked, I think, was going to have more hair product sponsors um, as he moved away from Hoka. But really excited to see all three of them land at Kraft, a team that's grown by like 25% with the signing of these three athletes. So still a very small team, but 
I think, good moves by all three of those athletes. Yeah, big news with Tim Tollefson. And I think Arlen Glick was probably the hottest free agent on the market. And so it's funny to see him sign with sort of a smaller upstart brand and craft than the more established trail and ultra brands like Hoka or Solomon or North Face or something like that. I went and looked on fantasy.freetrail.com. We have a cool way that we can sort by teams and the athletes on the teams. And Kraft has a all our squad now. They do. It's they've like got, small but mighty. I, I made some notes here. So they've got Tommy Rives, his brother Jacob Puzzi, David Laney, Eden Nielsen, Mimi Kotka, Tim Frericks, Tim Tollefson, Arlen Glick, MK Sullivan, among many others. So the craft team is quite talented. And then I know, Ryan, you were mentioning earlier that there was some speculation on the Let's Run message board regarding... Uh, Danny Moreno and Camille Heron, you want to maybe give a little color there for the audience? Oh man. Yeah. The let's run message board. They are in love with Camille and they're in love with Jim, anything that they do. And then you sprinkle a little killing in there as well. And they'll go crazy about it on there, just speculating about everything. And of course I come from a more traditional track and field college background. So I've been perusing those boards for a while but there was a very long thread about Camille announcing that she was leaving Hoka. And then they were throwing out some of the other people that were leaving Hoka, including Tim and Danny, and just speculating on who and where they were going to go. Um, and I think Camille's little tidbit of, I can't remember even where, remember what social media platform she put this out on, that she's going to go somewhere that they have not traditionally had a foothold in ultra or trail running really got a lot of people talking. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so, it, limits, it limits the options, right? Like it put, it yeah. narrows. It Should narrows we do some rec- reckless speculation here? <laughs> I mean, that's what we're all about, right? Just, spe- just like spreading rumors yeah. into the ether. Well, I mean, it's well, available on the internet too, and people are speculating, but you're right, Ryan. I think the tidbit of it, it was an established brand, I think was the language that she used that has not traditionally been involved in trail and ultra running, that very much limits it. And a lot of people are speculating, maybe Puma, that would be very exciting, I think, for the trail running mm-hmm. landscape of Puma. And I was told this year, like this, like the reason why Puma sticks out for me is that I was told specifically this year that Puma has money and wants to invest in the trail and ultra space. And so launching a team with a handful of athletes Um, some big name athletes would be very, very smart if they wanted to kind of uh, utilize proof of concept coming into the trail and ultra world. Yep. And what a fantastic uh, debut athlete Camille would be for the Puma team. Other people are speculating, including Cody Jett in the chat here, that it's going to be Skechers. We've heard people say Lululemon. So anyway, uh, always fun to speculate on these sponsor things, but that is... Not the purpose of our conversation here today. Of course, we are here to talk about Bandera and maybe getting sidetracked, not getting sidetracked (laughs) here. We've spent a few minutes on it, but uh, let's move to the important subject of the weekend. Maybe Ryan first, give us a a quick retrospective of your 2021 victory at Bandera. What did it mean to you? And I think, I think it was almost like your first ultra marathon at the time. It was, it was. Yeah. So I, it was my second ever trail race. I did the um, Moab Trail Marathon and got my booty kicked by little-known Adam Peterman at the time. I think he beat me by almost 40 minutes, so the dude really uh, took it to me there. But uh, all along, I, during the pandemic, I transitioned from post-Olympic marathon trials to beginning to work with a new coach who's more ultra-oriented, more ultra 
And Bandera was the big one local to me. So it was something I kind of dreamed of and had my eyes on Western States a little bit. And that was a nice, um, you know, prize if I could do well there, but it's like, Hey, let's, let's test the waters with Bandera. So when I crossed 26.2 miles at the Bandera hundred K, which was the fifth aid station, I was running the farthest I'd ever run in my life before. That was a very unique feeling knowing you're not even halfway there yet. I know. (laughs) I know. Right. Uh, so it, it went really well, obviously. Um, we'll talk about this. I, I've put together a little history of very detailed of the last five years, and then even some more notable, notable performances beyond the last five years at Bandera and what those splits have looked like for everybody, including how much do people normally slow down in the second half at Bandera? Because I was that's definitely huge. On the-, the positive split thing is huge. huge. Yeah. We'll get it, to that in a sec. Yeah. It really is. I wonder if just talking out loud here. I wonder if we would see more of that at courses if they did more two loops, right? Like if you think about Canyon's 100K, yeah. how much slower are people running in the second half? Well, no one cares. It's a point to point right, right. So it's just easier to, to be able to spectate that here. But anyways, Dylan, I, I was 30 minutes slower in the second half and still, I think, built my lead. Still ran a very from, fast time. Yeah, yeah. I was fourth fastest in the history of the race, um, which was awesome. And hoping to get back to that level, but man, I'm pumped for this year. And I think there's going to be some pretty quick times out there with the guys and girls we got coming down to South Texas. I've got a fun little photo that I'm sharing here on our screen for our <laughs> viewing audience. Uh, I have your Strava pulled up on my desktop here and we'll talk about the course here in a second, but I figured this would be a fun thing oh, to share man. with the audience too. Ryan crossing the finish line of his first ultra marathon, smashing a golden ticket with Wife and baby there to greet him. Doesn't get any better than that. Before we talk about this year's race, can I share another fun photo and a fun memory from my own running of uh, the Bandera 100K? Yeah. Because your boy, (laughs) as a 25-year-old, young, ambitious lad coming up in the sport of trail running in 2012, I found myself down there in Bandera, Texas to run the uh, Bandera 100K, very much hoping to punch my own golden ticket. So this race has been on the golden ticket radar for a decade plus at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another young upstart runner, Mr. Timothy Olsen, happened to be in the field, ran off the front. And then I chased the legend, Mr. Dave Mackey, for the entirety of the second lap, was never able to make up the the minute gap that he had on me for the entirety of the second 50K. But I entered the last mile thinking I was about to get my golden ticket with a third place finish until Joe Yuhan came and passed me in the final <laughs> mile of the Bandera 100K in 2012 knocking me back to fourth place. But I went back and found this photo, which uh, brings back a lot of great memories with Tim and Dave and Joe. And this is Nick Clark here, who's another legend who people who are newer to the sport may not know, but a fun, fun memory. I was able to get my golden ticket a few months later at the Leona Divide 50 miler. And that was the year that Timothy Olsen went on six months later to smash the record at the Western States 100 running under 15 hours for the first time. So Anyway, just fun memories to share. Um, but maybe Ryan, let's first talk about the course. I'm going to pull your Strava back up here and you can just give the viewing audience a little bit of a detailed description about what makes this, the course interesting, what makes it challenging and any other details that you think are relevant to share. For sure. So some quick highlights of the course, two by 50 K loop, 
Uh, it's pretty spot on since they've made a couple of tweaks to the course, uh, maybe three or four years ago. So distances are all accurate out there. Approximately 7,000 feet of vert. I've seen as low as like 6,500, as high as, you know, 73, 7,400 on Strava profiles. So it seems to be right there around 7,000. And they come in chunks because there are certain sections of the course that are very flat and fast. And then some sections where you're just getting constant rolling hills. Um, maybe that doesn't quite show the flat sections as I would quite remember them, but you can see there at the beginning, you hit the most technical um, and difficult section about the first eight to 10 miles or so. And then it gets very runnable from about mile 12 all the way up to, you know, 25 or so. And then from there you get back into those same uh, hills. So if you look at the course again, it's really that kind of um, top section, you know, the northern and western side that is a lot hillier, and then the south and eastern side that is more prairie, grass, dirt trails that yeah. you can really flow on. And if, if you really want to dive into the splits, you can see, you know, mid-seven-minute, eight-minute paces, and then you'll see some low six-minute paces thrown yeah. in there, too, from my Strava profile in particular. So, um, Ryan, would you... I'm just trying to get an assessment of like what might be kind of a cruxy part of the course where separation might happen. Mm -hmm. And in my brain, remembering back to when I ran this 11 years ago, my memory is admittedly fuzzy. It feels like this part right here, sort of going in to the second lap when you go through this vertical and sort of uh, more technical section um, that you just described. Would you expect that to be kind of a cruxy moment in the race or where are sort of the critical spots on the course? It is. It's the second time you go through that section. Um, and depending on how you're feeling, you know, you're either going to, because the technical terrain, the more in tune you are with your body, the better you feel at that point, the better you're going to be able to flow through there. So if you're really not feeling good, you're going to slow down a lot through that section. What was interesting was my experience out there was coming from a flat, faster background in marathoning and track running. It was actually, I made my break in the prairie dirt trail section where I could actually open up my stride. Mm. So I think it's fun, the dichotomy between you get some technicality and you get some really fast trails out there. So men and women coming from both sides of it can, you know, they'll find themselves leapfrogging each other at certain points in the race. I think I heard it described very uh, succinctly on the single track podcast. I believe Elia Yingling said it is that it doesn't favor those coming from, you know, the buttery smooth West coast trails. Mm. It doesn't favor those coming from East coast, you know, Appalachian Rocky trails. It's, you get a mixture of all of it out there. Mm. And probably the only people that have an advantage are people that live in Texas and run on these trails all the time. Yeah. I was going to tee up Corinne with that. Corinne sort of looking at the, at the course and understanding that we're sort of in the dog days of winter at this point for most athletes. Is there anything here that you want to comment on about maybe who this type of course favors or the type of skill set required to perform well here? Well, I think that's really interesting about Bandera in general. I don't think it, unlike some other races, I don't feel like it truly favors, you know, the East coast over the West coast over, I mean, honestly, the people who are probably best suited for it are the people who are living, um, locally who are running on those trails. I think Arizona runners probably, um, are coming out of fairly similar weather and similar terrain, not as humid. Um, actually when we talk about some of the women in the race, 
Um, one of the gals is coming from Hawaii. It's probably the only place more humid than what you might be running in. But for a lot of folks, even though like the temperature, for example, isn't supposed to be crazy warm um, this weekend, like it's going to be more humid than most most places in the U.S. right now. And it's going to be warmer than most places in the U.S. right now, which while it's not a, a heat race, is going to be hard. And then again, just kind of echoing what you all said, those I think those first 10 miles of the second loop are what eat people up. Like they're just, if you can get to the last 20 miles of the race, I think that, and, and have legs, I think that that's where a lot of that time spread is going to come in, getting through that kind of quote unquote more technical, definitely more hilly section of the loop. Yeah. And I just have pulled up just to compare the finishing times for Bandera versus Black Canyon. And it looks like Bandera in terms of the winning finishing times is slightly slower than a race like Black Canyon, but both races I think are somewhat similar in that they're usually fairly dry. Although Ryan, we'll get your we'll get your your weather forecast here in just a second. But usually dry, you know, still fairly rocky, twisty, turny, desert type trails, but also fairly runnable. I recall that it was actually quite rocky and uh, twisty, turny out there on the Bandera Bandera hundred. K course. And I know it's also famous for the cactus that is out there that sometimes chews people's legs up. Any comments on that before we move on to the conditions? The specific term is SOTOL, S-O-T-O-L. I don't even think it's a cactus. I did like a Wikipedia search on it a couple of years ago when I heard about it too. And I don't know, the best way to describe it is death by a thousand cuts yeah. because nothing hurts when you're running through these um, vast uh, so tall, uh, heavenly landscapes, but you look down at your legs and you just have little drops of blood all over them. And if you're sweating a lot, it starts stinging because it's seeping into the skin. But, um, you see people out there, some people wear full tights, even when it's mid sixties, just to protect themselves from it. I'm, I tell everybody, Hey, just, you're going to get cut up no matter what out on that course, just take it, bust through it. It's, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours of uh, discomfort and a little bit of stinging, you'll be fine. Yeah. The shower might sting a little bit afterwards, yeah. but it'll be well worth it. Okay, cool. Let's talk about the weather really quick, just for a sec. And Ryan, you're on the ground. So maybe give us a, a little idea of what it feels like there in the Bandera area as we look at the Google forecast here. So we're getting pretty typical Texas winter weather for this. Uh, so it's going to, it looks like it's a low of 60 and a high of, you know, maybe about 70 or so, maybe upper sixties during the race, which like Corinne said, nothing that's going to, you know, take anybody over the edge, but the key difference is that the humidity is going to be very high. I mean, there's literally going to be rain during the race. It looks like off and on. So 90 plus percent humidity and that combined with the 60 plus degree temperatures will catch up to those, I believe, who didn't maybe put in a specific um, heat training protocol if they're coming from a colder climate before they go out there uh, on the course. The other thing is uh, the mud here is very sticky. So this does not become a sloppy course. This becomes a sticky course. Your shoes will weigh three times as much as they normally do. Mud will be kicked up your backside constantly. Uh, so I was going to ask maybe, you about the mud because I know that the race can be notorious for having mud on certain years. Is this year mm-hmm. going to be one of those? It's hard to say. How much rain are we going to get Saturday morning? Course conditions right now are pristine, perfectly dry. 
So in years past, it usually rained leading up to the race and then it didn't have a chance to dry out. So this time, you know, if, if there's a few drizzle, you know, hours out there, I don't think the course is going to get particularly sticky. Could be a fast day. People. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be. Corinne, any comments on the conditions that we're looking at here? No, I think initially the forecast had more rain Sunday and kind of a dry day on Saturday. And we were worried about the rain moving up in the forecast. And that might be what happens. Someone in the chat, Aaron Davis said, the course favors the gritty. And I think that that might be ringing true this weekend with the course favoring the gritty. We can talk more about pacing here in a second. Like the weather is the weather. You can't control it. All you can do is, you know, control your race and control how you handle it. And I think that it's not going to be a particularly cold you know, cold situation, it might temper the heat a little bit, might temper the humidity a little bit. But I think the biggest thing is like athletes, they're all in it together, right? They're all facing the exact same conditions. And so what the athletes choose to, to go into the race, with the right mental headspace, I think will, will mean a lot and could mean the difference between, you know, getting a golden ticket or not this weekend. Absolutely. So before we start talking about the gritty athletes who will be on the start line tomorrow, I want to bring up a fantastic resource that Ryan shared with Corinne and myself before we went live. That is some historical statistics. And so I'm going to tee you guys up and allow you to talk a little bit about the historical averages here on the course and how that might come into play over the course of tomorrow's 100-kilometer race. So maybe, Ryan, get us started. Tell the audience kind of what they're looking at here, and especially uh, the important parts about the positive splits that you mentioned. So, yeah, this is... I tried to pull in all the data I possibly could, particularly from Strava, because that has a lot more detail. But when folks didn't have Strava, pulled it in from the race um, website... And this was a guilty pleasure of mine because I had had this analysis put together before I ran just so I could understand context of when I saw certain splits out there or understood what place I was in or who else was on the course. Like, okay, is this the type of race where I'm setting myself up to chase the golden ticket? Right. And you can tell from here, it's pretty fairly consistent across the board in terms of year to year times, right? It's going to be most normally somewhere between 810 and 815 for the winning time. It's usually going to go out somewhere in the low to high 350s, maybe touching on four flat if it's a particularly bad weather day. And it holds true to that. Um, And one thing to note here is in 2019, they did run on a different course. So they have this alternate course they will go to if there's a lot of rain in the forecast because Uh the state of Texas will close down the Hill country state natural area, which is where the park, the park that the race is located in. Um, it's still, I've been to the alternative course before and it's, it's very similar to the Bandera course. Um, but you can see there's a little bit slower times there that year. And then also people may not know this, or they may know this. Jim Walmsley has the course record at Bandera from one of his first ever ultras and his first golden ticket into Western States, I believe. And through some sleuthing of my own and combing through Strava, uh, they actually ran a shorter course that year. So Jim got Asterisk. quite the advantage. Asterisk. He got quite the advantage. <laughs> Flag it. Flag, Flag it, it on Strava. <laughs> so for those out there familiar with Bandera, there's a prairie loop section where you literally just run. It's like one and a quarter mile around a prairie, big rectangle. And the year Jim did it, they didn't run it for some reason. Mm-hmm. So that certainly helped. He'd still probably have the course record with the time he threw down that day, yeah. but um, maybe someone out there will still be willing to chase it me yes. in the future at some point. 
<laughs> Let's go. Next year, 2024, Ryan Miller returns to Bandera. Corinne, I'd love to get your perspective as a coach here. If we look at John Ray's finishing time last year, 8-10 flat, he only had a positive split of nine minutes, which is, it, according to Ryan's statistics here, the best of all time. Meanwhile, if we look back to Ryan Miller, who also ran about 8-10 flat, he had a 28 minute positive split in 2021. So maybe talk about how you would advise athletes to tackle this two loop course and anything else that jumps out from the statistics here. Yeah. And one, and one name, not on that list, just because he finished a little further back in the results last year, but not, not by a significant amount was uh, Joe McConaughey. Who's running again this year, the Mm -hmm. string bean. I think his positive split was the only one, maybe that's smaller than Jonathan Reyes from last year. I think it's like three or five minutes or something like it's really, really small, Wow, which is wildly important when you think about the fact that the positive split is generally 15 to 30 minutes. Um, even for someone like Jim Walmsley running well under eight hours. Um, I think that going in and knowing those general 50 K course split times, I think is going to be really important for the lead pack in part, because some of these races will go out really, really fast. It's just kind of the day that you're dealt And I think being able to come through that first loop and be like, okay, like this is the average split for this loop. This is what I know I can do for the second loop. I think those things become a little bit more important for the psyche there when you get kind of caught up in everything. I imagine, you know, we'll see based on the list of guys coming through again this year, probably something between 355 and four hours for coming through that first loop. Um, And given Jonathan Rea and Ryan's time, both at 810, I think we could probably anticipate an 810 winning time, um, this year, something very similar to it. But yeah, I think the big thing is that given that it's a looped course, you're, you know, you're getting that direct repeat as opposed to like black Canyon coming up in February, the first 50 K runs so much faster than the back 50 K it's a net downhill, et cetera. So it's like, I think you can go in with a much more even mentality with the goal to be keeping that positive split as low as possible. Yep. Fantastic. So let's just briefly, look at the women's statistics here that Ryan put together. Is there anything else that jumps off the page to you or that you wanted to mention on this Ryan, or is it more of the same? Yeah. A little bit bigger spread between first and second place here. Most years, it seems like the lead women, um, kind of take off and, and run away from the field more often than not. And I remember watching that. I saw Marianne Hogan come through at about 55 K last year. And just, I mean, she was just motoring through the mud it mm. was amazing to watch her come by you knew she was in for a special year after that um but besides that i mean there's some some pretty big names that have come through bandera and gone on to really successful years after that uh again the the winning time varies a little bit more here but given the conditions and we'll talk about the females showing up i would not be surprised if we're nearing um you know 9 30 or below. So, you know, within 10 minutes of course record time this weekend. Yeah. I think the women's field is getting deeper here. I think that again, when we look at the future North American based golden ticket races with black Canyon and Canyon's hundred K coming up later this spring, that those have historically been a little bit deeper than this one. But I do think that the field in general is becoming better and better at Bandera that people are being able to centralize kind of a, a seasonal entry into it, or they've changed their fall a little bit to make that happen. And so I think that you're right. We're going to continue to see the the trend in the women's field be closer to that 930 mark. Maybe it's a 930 podium 
type of thing. If you want that golden ticket, that's what you're aiming for. Where I think is the men's field has had a little bit more of that consistency just because the men's field developed in a way, um, I think a lot quicker than the women's like professional field has. Can I ask you all a question real quick? Uh, just, I want to get your perspective on the season as a whole. So again, I mentioned, I feel like you do see some folks from Bandera, like go on to pretty astounding seasons afterwards. Do you think there's any validity to, you know, coming into the off season, at least maybe the beginning of winter time for a lot of athletes and hitting a really good Bandera time, being able to take time off through winter and then rebuild for the summer that leads to success for some of those folks. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we look at someone like Ryan Montgomery, who I think a lot of us are hoping has a good day after a kind of hard 2022 in general with a bunch of injuries, didn't get to race a lot last summer, kind of built through the fall into this kind of early 2023 race. And then, you know, I think he's got some other races that I would take off his calendar if it was me personally, but I think that you can, you can step away and then come back and have a good Western States or come back and have a summer season. I don't think, um, there's it's like what Katie Asmith did and yeah. Drew Holman did. There's no traditional did. calendar anymore. Like you can kind of like, instead of making it one big long nine month block or something, I think you can block it or batch it a little bit more than we've done in the past, just because there are legitimately stacked races year round at this point. Yeah, I would agree with Corinne. And I just want to also mention here because our guy, Liam Aid Station Fireball in the chat has provided a correction that Rod Farvard has the best positive split in Bandera history, only five minutes. I think he was fourth place last year at the Bandera 100K. So wow. shout out, Liam. Thanks for that. You don't want Rod chasing you. No, a, you don't. The story I get there. All right. So let's talk about some of the athletes that are going to be towing the start line tomorrow. Corinne, you want to get us started in the women's field? I would love nothing more. I think that it's it's a good field with some like well-known names. And then I think there's a lot of like interesting question marks who I think could surprise folks out there. I think obviously the the name on the top of everyone's list, I think is Courtney DeWalter. I mean, it's hard to root against a woman like Courtney who has so many course records, has said that she wants to go back, potentially do the Western States hard rock double, um, really wants that Western States course record, I believe. But she, you know, took November off from training um, after racing Grand Raid in October, very early in her season. Can a less than perfect Courtney win when you've got Amanda Basham and Nicole Bitter, who I think are both very, very fit right now, who are going to be chasing for that. So it's like, how is Courtney, is Courtney that good? And the the answer might be yes. Yeah. Before you you talk about Nicole and Amanda and the others, I'd love to dwell on this Western States course record. Obviously we're getting well ahead of ourselves at this point, but (laughs) one of the greatest course records in the history of the sport held by Ellie Greenwood from back in 2012. So now almost 11 year old course record. And if you look at Courtney's resume and her trophy shelf, which is abundant with amazing accomplishments, she's got the hard rock course record, the UTMB course record, the grand raid course record, which Corinne just mentioned and noticeably absent, even though she has a cougar and a Western States victory is the Western States course record. And if she could make her way into Western States this weekend. And again, getting way ahead of ourselves. But if she was able to break Ellie Greenwood's mark from 2012, it would be truly historic and round out a quadfecta of insane course records at the world's four most, arguably most important hundred mile races. So anyway, moving, moving back to the women's field, who's assembling this weekend. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, behind Courtney, women who I think have enough, have experience in the golden ticket hunt, have experience at Western States, um, who have that resume. You're going to have people like Nicole Bitter again and Amanda Basham. Nicole, I've got my notes up here, so I'm kind of staring up into space here. Um, Nicole just missed a golden ticket at Havelina. She was third there. She then went to Ultra Trail Cape Town where she rolled her ankle ahead of the race and so didn't race there, which honestly probably sets her up pretty well to have a good day here at Bandera. She lives in Texas, runs in Texas. I think that that is definitely an advantage for her. She likes fast, flat courses and she's a good closer. That to me is scary. I wouldn't want Nicole Bitter chasing me at this race. And then Amanda Basham, mom of two little girls, has not raced this long in a while with the pandemic and two children in the last three years. Um, she did run like the ETC race at, um, at uh, UTMB this past year. She ran Speedgoat in 2021. You know, I've I've had to chase her during golden ticket races um, previous to that. Like she wall, she has not raced this long in a little while due to due to like starting a family. I know the training block she's just put in is really, really good. And I am scared that she's probably in like CCC, you know, second place CCC fitness. Um and she's a fierce competitor. Like she's a really tactic, like she races really tactically. Um, she's good at kind of turning screws. So I think Amanda is a legitimate threat in that, in that Nicole, Amanda, Courtney mashup. And then I think the women that are kind of in this next group, one woman to, to start um, is um, Michelle. And I always say her name wrong, but I have to remind myself that it's like lasagna with an M. <laughs> Maganya, Michelle Maganya. Um Midwest gal ran a 1630, I think, at Kettle Moraine, was 11th at Western States the last time she was there. Um, she got a ticket in 2020 at Bandera into that into Western States. It was delayed a year. I believe that was her Western States entry and then was 11th in 2021. So she's got a lot, you know, she wants to go back and she's clearly a fast 100 mile runner. So I think that she is very much in that mix. Um, another long distance specialist is Rachel and Trekken. However, Rachel and Trekken just ran 188 miles at across the years in the 48 hour competition. So I don't know if Rachel is starting Bandera or not. We need this that. information for our fantasy for fantasy.com. Yeah, so. If Rachel and Trekken is racing, but she, I mean, was fifth at Cascade Crest last year. She's got a bunch of unsupported FKTs in the Cascade Mountains. Um, she used to live in Seattle. Um, she also won the plane 100 over Luke Nelson um, an, uh, two years ago, I believe. So she very, very good. She's good on flat surfaces. She's good at the timed events. Have no idea if she's racing this weekend. And then the next kind of segment of women that I look at who are potential kind of dark horses. And I say dark horses only because they are really good shorter distance ultra individuals, even sub ultra distance individuals. And that includes Casey Enman. Um has won world, world mountain running champion. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Back in 2011 or 12, something like yeah. that. So, you know, over 10 years ago, but is phenomenally talented. You've got, um, Rachel Lemke who just recently won the McDowell mountain frenzy 50 K you have Catherine, the Canadians, then Catherine short and, um, or cat short and Sarah Berger and LaRoche, both Canadians, um, both super good in the sub ultra distance. Um, cat, I believe is living in Hawaii right now. Um, 
So coming from a humid environment, not a bad idea. And her and Sarah are both incredibly talented athletes. Sarah has raced a little bit longer. She's been top 10 at the North Face 50 mile before, but doesn't have a lot on her resume in the last year or two, kind of post-pandemic. Um, she races in Canada a lot, and that might be part of it, but really excited to see kind of, we've got these like stout long distance names. And then this like group of women who are all incredibly talented over the 50K distance um, or even shorter good marathon fitness, et cetera. Like what are they going to do in the, in the second loop of this race? I have a and feeling it's going to be very enticing. close in the women's race. I think in those like really top five positions. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, I want you to add whatever you want there. I just wanted to make a comment that the Canadians are coming in hot for Bandera this weekend. Always. So just, just hanging that out there. But Ryan, I also wanted you to say, cause it seemed like you had looked at uh, Amanda Basham's training block and uh, I'd, I'd love to circle the conversation back to Amanda Basham, who, as Corinne mentioned, was sort of a force on the scene before COVID and then having two children. Now bringing that mom's strength to Bandera. Of course, she's been fourth at Western States twice. She's been second at CCC. Really one of the best Americans out there uh, returning to high level competition. Did you, uh, did you have anything you wanted to add on Amanda or anybody else? Ryan, you're on mute, bud. You're muted. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I just have to say that Amanda can put together a very good playlist because I found her Bandera 100K Spotify playlist that I believe she made when she DNF. Uh, <laughs> Drop it in the chat. Drop it in the chat. We got to send it out. We, we got to find it. Heavy on country. If you're a co like country art artist, then uh, I think you would really like that. But no, it looks like she's found a really good groove again since having her... Uh, little babies, almost back to back, it sounded like, and has a renewed perspective on what it means to be able to run and pursue this dream of hers of being, you know, one of the best ultra runners in the world. And I think parenthood really brings that out of you. Uh, Dylan, you can probably attest to that as can I, that it, it makes everything sting a little less. And it also just gives you the perspective that, Hey, like I'm going to be the best I can be, but you know what? Like if I give my best effort and it doesn't happen, that's okay. Like I'm not going to dwell on it. Yeah. And you can see that in the way she talks on social media and does interviews. So definitely rooting for Amanda and I'm, I'm rooting for Nicole, local Texas gal. It's a, uh, it's pretty rare for Texans to come up in um, the last like decade to perform well or win at Bandera. So I hope she, she does well. And I actually saw her uh, partner, Zach Bitter, out there on December 17th, I was running on the course and I saw him in the distance going a different direction on another trail. And I recognized his ultra uh, uniform. I believe, I think she's an ultra athlete, yep. if I'm not mistaken. So they've done a little bit of extra course preview. And I think that always helps uh, in any ultra you get into. Heck yeah. And of course she was third, Corinne, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but she was third at uh, Havelina in October. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So narrowly missed the golden ticket. I'm closed. sure she's like closed really well. Like the, I mean, that women's field was also incredibly mm -hmm. tight, like such good racing out of that yeah. group as well. Awesome. So moving on to the men, Ryan, why don't you get us started on some of the guys that you're looking at this weekend? Definitely. I think it's, uh, a larger competitive field for the golden ticket than the women's side in terms of number of men that could potentially come out here and, and take a shot at it. Uh, but uh, equally as entertaining uh, to see who's going to mix it up up there. So a few names that I'm particularly interested in, uh, I think number one, John Kelly. I saw that, I believe he ran a 227 marathon at CIM in December. 
which you bring John Kelly's long trail. I was going to say finishing Barkley with a two twenty seven marathon PR. That's, I mean, that's, that's incredible. You next thing you know, dynamic. he's going like, to be breaking like 15 minutes for 5k or something like that. Yeah. Right. Just keep going down the ladder, but this will be really fun to see if he can truly put together a good performance at, you know, what you might turn like middle ultra distance uh, for, for him. Mm-hmm. So that'll be really interesting. And then yeah, Joe McConaughey or that's how you pronounce his last name, yeah. right? String bean. I always just, I default to string bean whenever I can. <laughs> it's much easier to say, but, uh, coming off, um, his, uh, performance last year, I think he's going to be really itching to put himself in the position to maybe not have quite as close of a, you know, even or smallest positive split and really put himself in position to get that golden ticket. Um, it takes that here, right? Cause if a woman or man goes out and if they don't put themselves, it seems like in that top really like five to six, it is hard to crack the top two because mm-hmm. you have to have almost everybody ahead of you fall apart or have the greatest Which second half in the less, history. Right. Yeah. Right. And we just keep seeing that at bigger and bigger races. I know we've talked about Western States, UTMB, people just do not fall apart anymore. And maybe that's due to, you know, more training theory out there, more discussion of like how to properly prepare for these races. But whatever the case, I think it's going to be really interesting to see which of these guys puts themselves in a position early to chase it. And when we see that 50K split come through on the timing website, I think we're going to know who's for real in the second half of competing at this race. Um, other so to our viewing that, audience, make sure that you're back in front of the live stream about three hours and 45 minutes in tomorrow to make sure you see who comes through that first 50K split uh, in that lead pack. Because as our expert, former champion Ryan has now confirmed, uh, you need to sort of be in that pack in order to be in yeah, that golden ticket be, contention. You know, I think they're starting at 7.30 local time, which is an hour later than usual. Yep, so yep. they wanted to start with headlamps, which is a treat, I think. Mm-hmm no headlamps. I have a real quick anecdote about that. Uh, I was probably running in like 10th or 12th, uh, through the first section of the course when everyone had headlamps. And for people that don't have experience on the course and the very beginning, which is the most technical tough section, there's like a few, like three foot cliffs you got to jump off and things like that. And people were just slamming on the brakes. I mean, they probably thought they weren't on the course. They're about to run to their off to their death. So the fact that it's going to be lighter, earlier in the race, I think is actually could result in quicker opening splits, particularly through the first two aid stations here. Mm-hmm. So maybe keep an eye on that in the live stream. See, that's why you bring the local knowledge to free trail Friday. There <laughs> you go. Thank you, Ryan. Keep going on some of the, the men's characters. Yeah. Cause I, I think there's at least a few more worth mentioning. Definitely. A, a couple other notes here. I count five guys who have previously obtained golden tickets through the golden ticket series that are lining up here. So that would be Elliot Cardin, Jeff Colt. Uh, I, has Joe McConaughey, has he gotten he's a come golden up, ticket? He's come up. He's been third a lot. Very he's close. He's just missed a golden ticket like four times or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ryan Montgomery, obviously at Havilene 100. That was an awesome one to see. And then Charlie Ware, um, yep. I believe he's gotten three golden tickets. Yeah. This would be his fourth in like six years or something. I, the timing, 2016, 2018, 2020, he skipped a year. So he's due, right? Yeah, there so, you go. <laughs> but a, almost all of them at Black Canyon, which is interesting. Um, everybody's coming off that. But anyways, I, just some other names to run through that y'all can add some some color to. Um, Devin Olson, Anthony Lee, Canyon Woodward, Jim Rebinek, 
Um, I believe Nick Curry has withdrawn. He was going to be an interest, interesting name to follow out there. Ryan Atkins and Elliot Carding, Canadians coming down. All guys that are going to be throwing their name in the hat here. Yeah, I think. Can I just add? Go so ahead. I'm excited about all the Canadians. Like more Canadians, <laughs> bring us, bring us your Canadians. The Canadians um, are, I, are. They don't really. They don't get enough love. Exactly. Either. Like yeah. the the running sponsorship model does not treat them well, and yeah. it's total nonsense. And I would swear about it, but we're gonna keep this YouTube PG. Um, so bring us your Canadians. We will <laughs> scream their names from the tallest mountains, but. Elliot Carden, obviously proven over the hundred K distance, really interested to see what he, what he'll throw down here. But like my, like very like big intrigue here is in someone like Ryan Atkins, kind of akin to some of the shorter distance women in the hundred K, like obviously an outstanding OCR athlete. He's done a lot of stuff on the bike and on skis. He's ever stood on foot, et cetera. But he's, you know, he's not necessarily known for, you know, being able to run like this over this distance. And that doesn't mean he can't. And so I'm really just curious to see what that looks like. Like, can he pull it together for a race like this? Um, and then there's some really, really fast names, including I think whoever's cursors on it. I don't know which one of you guys, Brian curl. I think he's the other like big, big name to keep. I, I picked him to win in my fantasy. I don't know hardly anything about him. It was just an intuition, just a feeling, but Brian curl, he's like 25 years old and he seems to have tons of talent and is flying under the radar. And it just feels to me like almost, almost eerily like one Ryan Miller, sort of a fairly unknown <laughs> guy coming into Bandera. Maybe he'll punch his ticket, but that's just a shot in the dark on my end. But yeah, yeah he think, did really well at McDowell Mountain Frenzy 50. And I was believe that too soon though. That like, that's my only worry. Close. That, like that just happened. It yeah. feels like. It's like, how do you balance catching when you're 25 the right amount of momentum? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you count, balance catching the right amount of momentum and racing really well with recovery? Right. Cause like, you, that performance was fantastic and probably would translate really well to Bandera, but yeah. can you yeah, be so get a golden both? ticket? If you can get a golden ticket here, he needs to like chill out for a second. It's <laughs> yeah. like my, my only coach, that's my coaching hat is like, get your golden ticket and then just chill out. And I guess the one, one person who's getting a ton of shout outs, um, in, in the uh, live chat is East coast athlete, um, Caleb Bowen. Um, he's the head coach at Marshall university. Thanks Cody jet Cody in the chat. Um, the like thundering herd. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. Marshall, yeah, the thundering exactly. herd. Like we are Marshall. Randy, Randy Moss's alma mater, Byron yeah. Leftwich. This is yeah, my so. early 2000s NCAA football uh, encyclopedic knowledge. But yeah, thank you for <laughs> so everybody. Practical. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is <laughs> the extent of my intellectual powers. But uh, I also want to give a, a big shout out to free trailer Anthony Lee from Boulder, Colorado. I think this dude is primed to finally secure a golden ticket. Narrowly missed it at the a Canyons 100K last year. last year. He finished fourth just behind Rod mm -hmm. Farvard. And had a good run at UTMB um, Puerto Vierta this fall. Like he's a solid, a solid athlete. I think his Canyons performance was incredibly standout last year, as far as like being in that, that golden ticket hunt and just, just missing out. Um, so very curious to see. And we also have to remember that last year, black Canyon and Canyons hundred K had an extra golden ticket awarded due to cancellations of other golden ticket races. Um, so we're back on the two and two train. And then again, remember another thing to always keep in mind is like, are there any, like most people coming into races are racing for golden tickets. Not always. It's not always the case. Obviously, sometimes we go to races just to be in a competitive field, but there aren't a lot of names or there are no names on this list who don't need a ticket. Everyone who's in the elite field 
doesn't like doesn't have an entry already into the race, which makes sense. That's, a, that's a great later. thing to mention, though. Yeah. So it, it can roll down through number five. Um, but like, it's not like a bunch of other people have their tickets already into Western States. So it's uh, there's a lot on the line at Bandera this year. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that feels like a fairly exhaustive preview of tomorrow's race at Bandera. Is there anything that we're forgetting to mention here, team? I don't believe so. It's going to be fun. Tune into Air Vipa's live coverage. First time ever out there. So it's so yeah, cool I, uh, that they're live streaming other event directors races now. I think that will yeah. provide a lot of value for the trail and ultra fans. And they've done there. their homework. I was actually, when I was out there earlier in December, they had Air Vipa hired somebody to go out and do drone footage and test satellite strength. And I mean, they Which, are going all out for this. It's everything they do is top quality, very yeah, professional. So they'll, they'll have a team in studio in Phoenix um, in the morning. And then I think um, Brett and um, Finn take over in the afternoon. Leah Yingling will be on the ground providing updates to the guys in the studio, utilizing Starlink and speaking from Starlink experience. Who knows what will happen on race day, <laughs> yeah. but that's why we follow these sports. Yeah. Um, so just excited that we should have more information than ever coming out of Bandera because let's face it, the only information we've ever gotten in the past is that 50K split in the finish line. And we should be getting a little bit more than that this year, which is just absolutely huge. Yeah. Absolutely. So shout out again to Aravipa for making that happen. Uh, And I guess to everybody who's watching us now, make sure you jump in the chat tomorrow during the live stream and we'll all get to reflect on whether our picks and our prognostication here today was indeed accurate. Before we go, make sure you go get- When does Free Trail Fantasy close? I was just going to say, thank you, Corinne. That's why we're always on the same wavelength. Make sure you go get your fantasy picks in now. Fantasy.freetrail.com. Pick five deep for both the men's and the women's race. I think the the picks will be open until an hour before start time, so maybe about 6.30 tomorrow morning, but don't quote me on that. Go do it right now. Uh, the prizes for this one are just going to be Free Trail Pro memberships and some new free trail merch. We got a whole bunch of new hoodies and t-shirts and stuff. So come play fantasy with us and we'll send you a hoodie if you if you win. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, one last thing. I forgot Uh-oh, to mention it. A, a Station Fireball in the chat. Elliot Carden just dropped via Instagram, FYI. Breaking Thank. news. Thank you so much. That's the, 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 here we are on CNN, breaking news, uh, the live reaction from the panel. No, just kidding. That's it for our, uh, our uh, prognostication here today. But thank you to Liam for that little info. Elliot Carden, we'll get him scratched off the, the fantasy list. One last thing before we go, I wanted to mention this. This is our new partner here with Free Trail, Rest Day Brewing, non-alcoholic beer. We're doing dry January all month as we do every single year. You guys got to check out Rest Day Brewing. I put a link in the uh, description and you can get 20% discount with dry 20. So for those who are abstaining from the brews this month, like myself, Let's uh, let's uh, do it in solidarity together and uh, go try this new NA beer company. Anyway, any final words, Ryan or Corinne? Have some fun. Can't wait for 2023. Yeah, cheer loud. Cheer loud. They can hear it, I promise. Heck yeah. All right, well, thanks to everybody who's watching us uh, now. Uh, we'll see you in the chat on the Aravapa live stream tomorrow. Have a fantastic Friday. Bye.